Second Kings chapter 13. Second Kings chapter 13. So it looks like we'll have one more message about Elisha to complete uh, the series on the life of Elisha the prophet. Second Kings 13, if you are able to stand, let's look at verse 14. <clears throat> and allow me to give you a quick background. I know you're standing already, but I'll be quick. By the time we get to this portion of Scripture, uh, we're, we will find Elisha sick. He will be ill, and whatever he has is going to take him on to glory. The kingdom that he has been serving in, Israel, which would be the northern kingdom, uh, at this time, the house of Ahab has been completely executed. Even Jezebel is gone. And so a man by the name of Jehu took the throne, and now his descendants are on the throne. And so... <clears throat> It's a, it's a sad time because, if you remember last week, Hazael was anointed king of Syria, and it was prophesied that he was going to wreak great havoc on the people of Israel. I mean, terrible things were going to be done. And so, he is now the king of Israel, or the king of Syria, I'm sorry. He's the king of Syria. Uh, Jehu and his descendants, his, uh, the next three boys, will reign. But during all this time, Hazael will continue to reign. And Israel is being greatly oppressed. Greatly oppressed. As a matter of fact, um, yeah, we're just going to jump down here to verse 14. I'll touch on that in a moment. Uh, let's begin at verse 14. Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then, he, then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance. And the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou have consumed them. And he said, <clears throat> take the arrows, and he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, smite upon the ground, and he smote thrice and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him and said, thou shouldest have smitten five or six times, then hast thou smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it, whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. And I want to move down to verse 22 because we'll touch on 20 and 21 next week, Lord willing. Verse 22, it says, But Hazael, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoaz. 
And the Lord was gracious unto them and had compassion on them and had respect unto them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and would not destroy them, neither cast he them from his presence as yet. Now there's a sermon there. So Hazael king of Syria died, and Ben-Hadad his son reigned in his stead, and Jehoash the son of Jehoaz took again out of the hand of Ben-Hadad the son of Hazael the cities which he had taken out of the hand of Jehoaz his father by war. Three times did Joash beat him and recovered the cities of Israel. Lord, we pray that you bless our service as we are uh, looking to study this passage and pull out from it applications that would help us in our Christian life today. We are thankful for the historical record and <clears throat> the drama and inspiration that is behind it. And yet we need more than that. We need to understand the application for our lives today. And we pray that through the power of the Holy Ghost, you would work in our midst, and Lord, you'd have your way. Bless our special music. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I, <clears throat> I always pause when I come across this story in my Bible reading. How many of you are familiar with this story in your Bible? You're familiar with it, okay. All right, m many of you. Well, for the few that are not, I, I just want to review it again, okay. And I do have a little outline here. So first we have the visit from the king, we have the vision of the prophet, and then we have the victories to be expected. How do you like that? Look at there. So uh, <clears throat> verse 14, I want us to zero in here. There's some side points that I think are beneficial to all of us. It would be a blessing and a help to those around us and help us to see the need to serve. Verse 14, now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness wherever he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. So we have this visit from the king. And in this visit, we discover some things. We discover, first of all, he is truly, truly broken up about the prophet's illness. Okay, and we got to appreciate that. And there's something to be said about people visiting people who are ill. And there's something to be said about visiting people who are on, who are on hospice care, who are near the end. God honors that. God blesses that. In this case, we have a man of God who has been a servant, faithful to the Lord, uh, most of his adult life, as far as we know, from the time that he received the baton from Elijah he has been faithful. He's been consistent. There's been clear evidence the hand of God has been on his life. And Israel has been a benefactor of his life. That's important to understand. The second thing we understand here, as I read this here, uh, I notice that the king, in his statement, my father, my father, and the chariot of Israel, that was the same thing that Elisha said about Elijah. If you remember way back, I, I brought that up. And what he's saying there was, I acknowledge that you have been the reason Israel has been protected. I acknowledge that you are that man that has stood in the gap between us and the enemies. We have received grace because of you. Boy, that'd be a wonderful thing to be that kind of Christian, okay? To know that God is using your life that way. 
And so Eli, or the, the king acknowledges this, but on the same token, it, it, there are still sins in Israel that haven't been dealt with. The worship of Baal has been completely removed. Jezebel is gone. The worship of Baal is gone. But the sins of Jeroboam, do I have that on? Is that on? Okay. The sins of Jeroboam continue to exist. And to help you know what that means, the very first king of the northern kingdom of Israel established idols at the very southern tip and northern tip and said, These be thy gods, O Israel. And he did that to keep these people, these Jewish people, from going back into Jerusalem and worshiping at Jerusalem. He didn't want to lose them. Well, the result has been it's a snare to the people of God, and they never got rid of those. And that's always been the issue. Every king of Israel after Jeroboam uh, has kept those implemented. And even this particular king, even though he executed justice on many of the other evils and removed many of the other idols, he hasn't got rid of this. And so God has allowed Syria to come in, and we could say chasten, chasten Israel in a severe way. As a matter of fact, we read the text, they were greatly oppressed. Well, if you remember what we read last week, uh, Hazael and his sons, uh, they were going to tear people up. They were going to take Jewish children and just throw them against the rocks. That's how vicious they were going to be. Okay, so this stuff has taken place. Now, the prophet is dying. The king is concerned. If we lose him, what are we going to do now? And so he is weeping over the prophet. We appreciate the visit from the king. It sets the stage for something else. The prophet on his deathbed rises, rouses himself, stirs himself, no doubt. And he says this in verse 15. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took up, took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. So if you can visualize this, the king has taken his quiver and pulled out uh, arrows out of the quiver. And he's, he's taken the bow and he's put an arrow in the bow. And, and now uh, the prophet has said, Now, uh, Open the window to the east and pull that string back and let her fly. And so this is, this is what's going on. Elisha is going to touch his hands. All right, so, and he said, verse 17, open the window eastward, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot, and he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou have consumed them. Uh, that's a pretty exciting promise. Now listen, uh, if, if you've never experienced addiction or never been around anybody that struggled with addiction, never had, never uh, hurt for somebody that you've loved who's went through addiction, you may not understand what it is to be really delivered, okay? But the reality is this, you and I were lost and had to be found, and we did have to be delivered from the bondage that Satan had us under, and thank God through Jesus Christ we got that deliverance. We ought to have an appreciation for that. Well, what we have here in the historical records is uh, Israel is being just greatly oppressed. I mean, people are suffering in a whole 
horrible way. And the king uh, visits the prophet, and the prophet says, God is going to deliver Israel. This is, he's, this is a promise. He's going to deliver Israel. And wouldn't we all love it if God just said, I'm going to do that, and that's it? And there are some promises that are unconditional. The sun will rise on the just and unjust. The rain will fall on the just and unjust. Uh, we will have these seasons uh, until Jesus returns. There are some unconditional uh, promises of God. Jesus will return regardless of what you and I do. He's coming again. There are some unconditional things that God said, I'm going to do this. But in this particular case, because we've already read the passage this promise is conditional. It's conditional. This promise of deliverance is conditional. And so we see the vision of the prophet. He sees, he sees, I could put it this way. He sees Israel being liberated from the oppression of the Syrians. He sees it. And he shares it with the prophet. And that ought to be good news. But then we move to our third point. The victories to be expected. Well, in verse 18, Elisha now tells the king, take the arrows, and he took them, and he said unto the king of Israel, smite upon the ground. Now, <clears throat> he didn't tell the king how many times to shoot the arrows in the ground, did he? He didn't tell the king, now, if you shoot if you empty your quiver, uh, you're going to consume the army. Part of us, we could look at that and say, it just doesn't seem fair. It seems like if he would have told the king that, then the king would have emptied his quiver. If he'd have said it in the first place, but he didn't. And there's a reason he didn't. There's a reason he didn't. Because there was something in the king's heart that still needed to be manifest. Just like our hearts. All he says is take arrows and shoot them in the ground. And so the king reaches into the quiver. He draws back the bowstring and he shoots one arrow in the ground. He reaches in the quiver and he puts it in the bow and draws it back and shoots it in the ground. He reaches in the quiver puts the arrow in the bow and draws it back and shoots it in the ground. And the Bible says he stays. And we discover Elisha is upset. And then Elisha goes on to say, you know, if you'd have shot five or six times, you'd have consumed the enemy. You'd have complete liberty. Number one, that tells me there were more arrows in the quiver. That's what it tells me. There were more arrows in the quiver. But number two, that tells me Elisha wanted to see something out of the king. And I believe God wanted to see something out of the king. And we as readers do see something out of the king that is unfortunate. Passion. Passion. Now, passion is a powerful word. There is this idea of giving it your all. You know, even in the secular world, even in the secular world, for the most part, your degree of passion 
determines your degree of success. Whether you are in sports, athletics, business, finances, whether you are uh, a teacher, your degree of passion often, I know there's exceptions. Some people give their all and they may not see a lot. But uh, for the most part, our degree of passion determines our success. Can I get a witness? Is there anybody that would agree with that? I mean, that's just, that's, we could say it like this. Everybody that has uh, transcended their peers' expectations of them did it because they had some passion, regardless of what arena they focused on, whether it was basketball or business, regardless, or music, regardless. If they, gave the, if they were passionate, their degree of passion did determine their degree of success. Elisha makes it clear. You should have smitten five or six times. Now, whether that means he had six arrows in there or not, I don't, I, I don't know. But it is obvious there, was, there were definitely more arrows to shoot in the ground. The title of the sermon this evening is Empty Your Quiver. Empty Your Quiver. Now, I don't know about you, but I want... I want victory in my life, and I want to see God do good things in my life and through me. I want to see God work in other people's lives, and I want to see people delivered. And uh, I mean, <clears throat> there's this idea of potential behind all of this as well, because it's clear that the king did not reach his potential as a leader in Israel. Is that obvious? It is clear. In Matthew 25, verse 25, we get, a, we get the record of a man who received a talent from his Lord. He only received one, and a couple other guys received uh, like ten and five, and he only got one. It didn't seem fair. Nevertheless, though, he wasn't going to be judged by how much they were given. He's going to be judged by how much he was given. And when his Lord, the Lord came back to inspect and see how these guys did with the talents they received, he found that the guy with ten or five, he doubled his, and the guy with five or three doubled his. And But the guy with one, he said this. He said, I was afraid, and I hid my talent. Here it is. Here it is. And the Lord of that servant said, you should have given it to the exchanger. You should have given it to somebody who could have used it, who could have made a difference with it, who could have helped you, but instead you hit it. Now, that man didn't reach it. He did not empty his quiver. And what we have here is a king who did not empty his quiver. Apparently, he didn't come close to emptying his quiver. Now, <clears throat> what is it to empty your quiver? I, I believe it, according to the text, I'm trying to look at an obvious application. It appears it's passion. It appears it's energy, giving yourself. I wonder how bad the king really wanted deliverance. I wonder if Though we see the king's sympathetic heart toward the prophet, maybe his confidence was more in the prophet than the God of the prophet. I just wonder. I don't know. But I'd like to give you some illustrations here in the Bible about men who emptied their quiver. When I read in Judges chapter 8, verse 6 about Gideon, 
He and his 300 men come running down the mountainside, chasing over a million-man army. Most of the work was already done when they started running down the mountain because God confused that army, and they started killing themselves. But as they saw the lanterns and the shout, heard the shouting coming down the hill, uh, they took foot and ran. And Gideon chased him, he and his 300 men, and they chased him, and they chased him. And uh, <clears throat> the Bible tells us in Judges 8, verse 6, he was faint, yet pursuing. When I read a passage like that, I say, there's a man who's emptying his quiver. Because he caught him. Even though he was wanting help, and he didn't get help. That's all right. God's plan for his life. Oh, by the way, I needed to emphasize this. You could say, well, I don't understand how shooting an arrow in the ground is going to make a difference. Well, it was God's plan for the king. And God's plan often works that way. You do your part, he does his part. King Joash, you shoot the arrows in the ground, and I'll win the war. I'll win the battles. Often that's the case. Most often in our Christian lives, you do your part. You do what you can do with what God has given you. And then God will take care of all those things you can't handle and you can't, that are beyond your limitation. That's good news. Our God is able to do that. He didn't expect the king to do hand-to-hand -hand combat against all of those guys, though he could have enabled the king to do that. No, he said, shoot arrows in the ground. So he shoots three times and stays. Okay, well then I too will give you three victories. And that's it. And it wasn't enough, by the way. When I think of Samson, I shared this uh, with the men yesterday, and I, but this was not intended to be part of this message. Another passage in Judges chapter 16, and I would like to read it. In Judges 16, we come to the end of Samson's life. He is being held captive. He's in the, the Philistine amphitheater, and they're going to execute him. They're there to mock him because he's been a great thorn in the side of the Philistines. He's had amazing power, and now it seems he's been de debilitated. They cut his hair off, and he had broken all the Nazarite vows, and they took his eyes out, and here he is, a blind man, between two columns that hold the Colosseum up. 3,000 people are watching witnessing their thorn in the side, ready to be executed. And Samson does this in verse 28. And Samson called, uh, Judges 16, 28, And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once. O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood, and on which it was borne up, of the one with his right hand, and of the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his what? Might. All his might. <clears throat> what was he doing? He was emptying his quiver. He was emptying his quiver. When I look at David volunteering to go down and 
go to battle, one-on-one confrontation with Goliath. Uh, But I'm telling you, he emptied his quiver. He did his part, and God certainly did his part. When I think of King Hezekiah, King Hezekiah inherits a throne. He's lived in a family of great wickedness. His father's one of the wicked kings of Israel. He's defiled the house of God. There's all kinds of idols in the house of God. All kinds of idol worship and just perversion taking place. Little Hezekiah, and apparently he had a good mama. Because little Hezekiah, when he takes the throne, actually he's not little, he's 25. When he takes the throne, he's got a heart for God. His daddy's dead now. There's a new ruler in town. And what's the first thing he does? He cleans out the house of the Lord. He cleans it out. He gets the temple clean, and that's an important thing. And then he goes around the highways and hedges, and he cleans out all the wickedness that he can find. I mean, he is all in for God. And the Bible tells us he did these things immediately. And then the Bible tells us, and God prospered him. Now, how did that take place? It's because he emptied his quiver. He emptied his quiver. You see, I just see something here. There's a passage in... uh, uh, Is it Micah or Amos? Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. I think it's Micah chapter 8, verse 1. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Uh, Lukewarm Christians, I'm just here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, lukewarm Christians not only hurt themselves, but they don't help the cause of Christ. That's just the reality. And Jesus dealt with these lukewarm folks here in the book of Revelation. We get some information about those. That's why we need to hear some preaching. That's why we need to come to church and uh, sing these songs and lift up our voices and give it our all. That's why we need to do this, because to keep our own fire burning, keep our own passion burning, because we can get cold and turned off by the things of this world so quick, get distracted by the things of this world. Rather than turn our eyes upon Jesus, we turn our eyes upon everything that's going on in this world. And I'm just telling telling you, friend, I'm telling you, we need help getting our, our focus right here. I need help. I, I need help. And so I think of these men who emptied their quiver. When Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. That's telling me to empty my quiver. When the three Hebrews stood before the king it, because they wouldn't bow before the golden image when the music played, they said, dear king, Our God is able to deliver us. But then they made this wonderful, powerful, majestic, noble, inspirational statement that to me stands out above everything else they said. But if not, we will not bow. Our God is able to deliver us, O King, from this fiery furnace. But if not, our quiver is empty. Y'all heard me now. And so we move on here. When Colossians 3.23 says, what's, uh, says uh, And what serve you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. What's that telling us as Christians? Empty your quiver. When Romans 12.1, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. 
He's saying, empty your quiver. Empty your quiver. I must testify, in my own heart and in my own life, I never really got help from God until I emptied my quiver. I had to empty my quiver. It had to be all in. If I wasn't all in, I was going back in the world. Just like that. Not to, Hey, not that this flesh isn't still here. But I never really saw God do anything big in my life. Never. As far as visibly seeing it. Until I emptied my quiver. And I'm just telling you, friend, you want to see God do some big things. Are you fully surrendered? Are you all in? Have you emptied your quiver for the Lord? Okay. <clears throat> Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. He says, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the righteous judge shall give me, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. What was he saying? He's saying, I emptied my quiver. I emptied my quiver. I don't know if this is doing anything for you, but I, I needed it. Revelation 12, verse 11, we get the testimonial of great men and women of God who were martyrs. Who conquered the devil, the Bible says. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says, and they overcame him, the devil. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Whoa, whoa, hold the coffee there. They emptied their quiver. I said they emptied their quiver. That's why they're in the hall of fame there. That's why they're mentioned like that. Now, I tell you, and I must remind myself, I'm going to heaven. And if you've received Christ as your Savior, you're going to heaven. Not because you emptied your quiver but because Jesus empties his. Because he emptied his quiver, we're going to heaven. We have deliverance. That's sealed, signed, secure. But now God says, while you're here, though, you want to do something big? You want real help? Empty your quiver. I don't know what it might be for you. I do know this. He wants, uh, if you're a husband, you be the best godly husband you can be. If you're a wife, be the best godly wife you can be. If you're a mom or dad, be the best godly parent you can be. If uh, you, wherever you work, I, well, I do know. It, it means this. Keep Christ the center of your life. I do know that. If it, now, if God is speaking to somebody about going to the mission field, if God is speaking to somebody about going and getting involved in the ministry, uh, that's between you and God. And that's a blessing. And if you don't, you're not, you're holding back. And you're the one that's going to miss out. I think back of going to Zambia, and I think of the five churches that John and Marsha Riggs have started there. I think of the large camp with hundreds of kids there and the many that were saved this year, the many that surrendered to the preaching this year. And I think of the great work of God that's transpired there over 29 years of ministry. And I say to myself, that didn't happen unless somebody emptied his quiver. 
And if you want victory, and if I want victory over my flesh, I've got to be willing to empty my quiver here. And if I want to see God do a work in somebody else's life, family members, loved ones, I need to empty my quiver. But too often, too often, people have this attitude. They really do, and it's, it's unfortunate, but too often. So we read here, it says, uh, it says in verse, uh, oh, verse 18, and he smote thrice and stayed. Too often, our Christian life is, well, I went to church. That's enough today. I got that in. Well, I put a few bucks in the offering plate. I'm good there. And we live our life almost like a checklist. Well, I did, our Christian life is a checklist. Well, I did that, did that. That'll appease the people around me. But there's no heart in it. There's no passion in it. And you're the one that's it's missing out. And God's going to reveal that to you. God's going to make it clear to you and the people around you. Hey, there is no passion. And dear King Joash, I appreciate your sympathy. And I appreciate your pity and your compassion toward the prophet. But the prophet's going to be just fine. You come down there and he's got one more vision for you. He's got one more promise for you. But it's a condition one. Shoot them arrows. Empty that quiver. Empty. Let's see what you got, king. I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story. I'm just going to let you know the next thing you're supposed to do is shoot arrows in the ground. And all I know is this, ladies and gentlemen, if you know the next thing God wants you to do and you hold back, you're the one that's going to miss out. We're, hey, it's up to us just to do what God has called us to do. Hey, shooting them arrows on the ground is not a difficult thing. Hello? That was not a difficult thing. And that's all he had to do. Three times he shot. And what's the end of the story? We read it all the way down there. And three times the Lord, three times the Lord delivered, the, helped them recover cities that the Syrians had taken. Three times, and that was it. But the day would come, it would come shortly, when all of the northern kingdom would be taken away captive. A lot sooner than necessary, had he not emptied his quiver. There's some food for thought. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and I pray that you bless our service this evening, and I pray that you'd help us all evaluate our own hearts. I know I have to, and I pray, Lord, that uh, we would be a church filled with people who are emptying our quiver for you. We're doing what you know what we're called to do. I pray, Father, that uh, you'd minister to everyone here, encourage them, give them hope. You want to show them your hand, your power. You said, call unto me, and I would answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And I pray, Father, you'd help us. Help us to keep that passion burning in our own heart and with our own walk for you. Bless our invitation. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Brian.